The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today is Dr. Camille Preston. Dr. Preston, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here, Henry. We're excited to have you. Camille is a psychologist and an expert in leadership, management, and productivity. And she offers keynote speaking, training, and coaching services. Uh, she has more than 20 years of experience guiding uh, business executives, policymakers, and individuals, including business owners, to new heights of leadership and performance. Her clients include individuals and teams at organizations like GE, Harvard University, and the U.S. Army. Uh, Camille is also a contributing writer to the Huffington Post, Forbes, and Fortune magazine, uh, just to name a few, actually. And in 2004, Camille founded AIM Leadership. AIM Leadership is a leadership development and coaching firm dedicated to improving individual, team, and organizational effectiveness. And we're going to chat about that today. In 2012, she published the book Rewired, How to Work Smarter, Live Better, and Be Purposefully Productive in an Overwired World. And we're going to touch on some of the great insights from that book. But more specifically, we're going to get into her latest book, which is entitled Create More Flow, Igniting Peak Performance in an Overwired World. So Create More Flow is her latest book. Uh, Dr. Preston lives in Cambridge, Mass with her husband and her two children. And so in this episode, we're going to chat about her personal journey and experiences, how she got to where she is today. And then we're going to do a deep dive, get her thoughts, tips, advice on creating more flow in our personal lives and in our business lives so that we're more productive, we perform more, and we can grow our small businesses. So once again, Dr. Camille Preston, welcome to the show. Fantastic. Thank you. All righty. Well, um, as we chatted about beforehand, I'll, I'll refer to you as Camille. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, you're a doctor because you have a PhD in psychology. And so tell us about, tell us about that experience, why you went that path in life and what you thought you were going to do with that. And you've done a lot of it, but just tell us about that journey, if you will, to getting to being a doctor and beyond. Sure. So I, I think the story is best told backwards. Uh, several years ago, today is actually, as we're recording, is the three-year anniversary of my father's death. And he was a magnificent, magnificent man who, years after I started my coaching practice, started asking me questions. And the way he tells the story is from a very young age, when I was about four or five, I was always asking really, really difficult questions. And I'm the youngest of three. And he always thought, the questions would first come from my siblings. And so when I told him and explained to him what coaching is, he said, gosh, I just, 
you know, you were always asking so many questions. I just didn't know you could make an entire career that was so fulfilling out of asking questions. So I, I think the, the doctorate in psychology was really just my profound curiosity about people and understanding them. And at the time psychology, uh, that I did my doctorate, coaching was just kind of beginning to crest. So at the time, psychology was the gateway. I always knew I wanted to be forward-focused, helping people think about and create and bring into existence dreams. And so the psychology is a great foundation, and coaching is a phenomenal application because it's really um, turning ideas into action. Yeah, no, it's good. Two, two such great things related there. Asking questions, I believe, and I, I know you do as well, as we think about it from a small business owner perspective, that's, that's, I think one of the big skills that we need to have to be successful in business is knowing how to ask the right questions, whether it's about what we're going to do with our business, which direction we're going to grow, what to do with a particular employee, how to manage a relationship in the business. It's all about asking questions. Would you agree with that? Absolutely. And I I would probably expand it even bigger. I think quality life's, are built on asking really good questions and exploring possibilities. Um, This is a rabbit hole, but I was um, the unlucky beneficiary of a botched colonoscopy a couple, um, a year ago or so. I went in because I had two uncles with colon cancer and they had booked the emergency room and I texted a client of mine who was a doctor. I said, listen, I'm going in. What are the questions I should ask? Because, you know, I'm not a doctor. I, I don't know which questions. And asking those questions, they were going to take out seven inches of my colon. And you know what? I asked some good questions and I had to stay in the hospital for about four days, but I, I, I left with everything intact. So good questions, good for business, good for life. That's right. No, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's about, like you said, realizing these dreams. So I, in doing the research, I saw you also transitioned into becoming an investor. Uh, tell us about that period of your life. And you may still be doing that, but what took you into doing investing? Sure. So I love working with people. This is, again, the turning ideas into action. I love working with people who have a passion that they're trying to see become real. And so part of my passion about supporting women, I was a part of a fellowship, Pipeline Fellowship, that was really training women to be investors. And the thing that that has pivoted into is I recently joined a venture capital firm, Blackhorn Ventures, which is a phenomenal Colorado-based team. And we're really starting to think, how do we bring passion and great leadership as it relates to business to really early stage companies? So people, when they're getting started, understand how do they build the structure of their Mm -hmm. business to be set up for success. So I'm still doing some investing, but in a little bit of a different format. And I'm, I got to tell you, Henry, I am just tickle pink. I'm just overjoyed working with Phil and Trevor. They're phenomenal guys. And uh, it's fun to see how the doors open in your life, right? You never really know exactly where it's going, but I think asking good questions continues to create good possibilities. No doubt. And I got to think that again is a skill you brought to bear in deciding who to invest in, who not to and so I'm just curious, I have to ask you, what, what are some of those things that you now look for uh, when, you're, when you're kind of placing that bet, uh, to try to put it so crudely, but you know, when you say this, is, this has potential, 
a lot of what I hear and have studied and, and other people that have interviewed it, they tell me a lot of it is about the person, not so much the idea. But just tell me a little bit about your approach and what do you look for? Sure. So I would rather invest in an A-plus team with a B-minus idea than an A-plus idea with a B-minus team. So who is behind the idea is absolutely vital. I'm always curious, are they coachable? Are they curious? Are they willing to get feedback from the environment to say, hmm, my idea needs to tweak here, I need to pivot there? Because launching a business is, I have two young children, two and four, and it's it's a game of constant adaptation. So it's all about how agile are you, how perceptive are, are you of the environment, and how willing are you to actively seek out other people's perspectives to understand how you can optimize the business before you even get going too far down yeah. the path. Yeah. Now, how do you separate though then sometimes Camille where as an entrepreneur we become hyper focused and absolutely convinced that our idea is is right, right? And we we don't listen to the noise. How do you separate that, which is understandable from what you just described, someone who is coachable, someone who is willing to bring in and think of other ideas and other inputs? You understand what I'm asking? Because if you get so laser focused, how do you how do you separate those two? So it's interesting. What I what you need is I mean, let's face it, anyone who's starting a business, leaving the security of a job is a little bit crazy. Unless they have friends who've done it and they see how inspiring it is to do something you love, how exciting it is to build your passion into your livelihood. So it takes a little bit of crazy to get going. So I, I do look for a little bit of that um, passion and fanaticism to, to really drive people forward. So I, I think you need to be hyper-focused on the outcome and really, really mm. flexible on the approach and so you don't want to be changing with every, you don't want to be shifting course every time the wind changes direction. And you need to be, what I look for is individuals who have a certain level of emotional intelligence, so a social agility, that they can build out trusted advisors and a peer network that they can go to to yeah. tap insight and perspective. So you don't want people taking advice from right. every Tom, Dick, and Harry on the road. But you do want people cultivating those relationships and investing intentionally in them and then seeking out feedback. So I think the danger is, you know, the person who gets crazy focused on an idea to the point where they can't see the error in how it's going to manifest. And, and so, um, you know, they say mm -hmm. measure twice, cut once. I'm all about uh, develop clear, clear on the outcome, flexible on the approach is just the mantra that I keep coming back to. How else can you get to it? And I'll give you one other example. So for listeners who are thinking about a business idea and thinking about bringing something to bear, I often challenge clients to think of at least three different ways that they can get that outcome. And usually they can come up with two ideas. It's in the third or fourth idea that they generate that they start to unlock some of their own mental walls or barriers or rules and open up creativity. So the part of the thesis of my second book 
is providing people with an operating system to really think about how do they optimize their performance when you think about all the distractions that are so present in our wired world. We have so much input coming from so many different directions, it can be incredibly distracting. So in Create More Flow, we talk about a five-stage process, and it's that preparation stage, which is so vital, where you're doing the deep thinking and really challenging your assumptions about how is it that you're going to get that outcome and what are the different ways to, to be able to get to that result. Yeah, yeah, great takeaways. We'll dive into more of this here as we get into the conversation. All right, so what leads then to, in 2015, starting AIM Leadership? Tell us about that. So um, in, in 2015, I launched my passion around Create More Flow, and that actually um, came out of my second maternity leave. I was so, we, I had a very long infertility journey, which I've done a TEDx talk on just because many, many women experience that, many right. couples experience that, I should say. And I was coming back and I just was craving that ability to, to dive deep, to focus, to feel that passion of kind of all cylinders firing at once. And so I started studying a lot about flow and I was doing a lot of work and I was doing a lot of research on this. And what was really, really interesting was I, um, I hit a, a little bit of a personal road bump. I have a uncle that I've always been very close to who's widowed and has no kids who was diagnosed with cancer. And I was, you know, his healthcare proxy and prime support and about a month after he was diagnosed, my mother fell asleep wow. at the wheel and broke her neck. And so, yeah, two different um, geographies, and I was managing a lot of medical and elder care, and I had these, this newborn baby that I wasn't sleeping with. And I realized that if I could rethink how I spent my time, if I could redesign how I was structuring my days so I spent a little time in flow, it was like plugging my fingers into an electric socket that gave me just energy and compassion and patience to do all the other things that were just really present in my life, given kind of life circumstances. And th that was just like a flywheel that took off. I got so um, crazy excited about what I was experiencing. And then I was sharing it with clients and people were just really ready for a new way to engage in our wired world. They were really looking for something different than the distractions that is our kind of current reality. So back when you were going through all those personal challenges and you said you were in those small periods of flow, describe that for us so we can begin to understand what, what you mean by flow. Sure. So flow was first identified in the 70s by a Hungarian psychologist, Mihai Csikszentmihalyi, and he was researching people who are at the peak of their field, people who are just phenomenal creators, designers, innovators, thinkers, physicists, and they all describe this process of where time almost, it's it, all the distractions around you fade out and there's a hyper focus and it's a feeling of um, being challenged, but deeply inspired and competent in the same, right? And listeners will have felt this in different shapes and different forms. Some people might experience this as a runner's high where they're out running and they feel like the wind is behind their back the whole day. Or some people going into a big business meeting and they've prepared and they've really struggled in their preparation and their practice and they go into the business meeting and they're just firing on all cylinders. So it's feeling in the zone. It's being 
on top of your game, challenged and stretched, but feeling at your best. Musicians call it being in the pocket. Rowers call it having swing. Um, A friend of mine who does a lot of drumming calls it being in the groove. It's that feeling of just magnificence. And I, I felt it at its first real intensity when I was writing my book, Rewired. And that was a book several years ago. I'd written probably two or three books and I wasn't able to finish anything. So I went on a writing retreat out in Sedona, Arizona, and my boyfriend, now husband, my boyfriend at the time, now husband, said, "Um, this is great. You're either going to come back with a book or we're going to move on to do something else. And I was out in Sedona and literally rewired flew through me. I almost couldn't stop writing and it it just downloaded it. I hadn't even thought of the concept before I, I was out there. And so that really fueled this desire for flow. And I have spent the last three or four years really studying what is it that causes me to get into flow? What are those different triggers, those different variables? And then how can you intentionally recreate it in your life? And I'll, I'll, I'll leave your listeners with one idea. So my life has changed drastically since the first writing retreat. And I, um, you know, with the young kids and a very supportive husband, but young kids, I realized that I, I couldn't go away to write this next book. And I, I set it up. I knew that a clean space was really important. I knew boundless time was really important. So to be able to get on a writing tear and be able to write till I dropped was really important. And then for me, a strange thing is hot tubs. And that's going to sound funny, <laughs> but I just love hot tubs. I, um, and you're going to ask if I have one. And my answer is going to be not yet, but I will have one. Um, so I actually went to stay at my daughter's godparents. They were gone for a chunk of time. And I literally wrote 55,000 words in five and a half days. So you was, wrote while you were in it or did it just oh, <laughs> clear your mind or how, how do you use the hot tub part of it? Oh, that's it. Sorry. I, I did jump that, that part. So what I would do is I would write with intensity I and see. then I would, ha- a timer would go off and I literally would go out and I would sit in the hot tub and you know, you're not on the phone, you're not on your email, just literally my body would physically relax and the the kind of the tension of writing would almost seep out and I would sit there and sit there and sit there and then sometimes I would Mm -hmm. pop out of the hot tub and dash back to my computer, you know, wrapped in a towel and just um, dive back into writing. So for me, I've been really experimenting with my own rhythm uh, people who are listening might start to notice, is it mornings? Is it evenings? Is it coffee shops where there's noise? Is there silence? Is there a specific type of light? Because there's all these different types of cues that can help us understand what is it that we need to optimize our amount of flow. Right. Our, those cues and those triggers, the hot tub sounds like it was a reward as well as a trigger to, to prompt more thinking and inspiration to then go write more. But you were rewarding yourself at certain intervals with it, it sounds like, as well. Yeah, and so the idea is your your brain can only f- focus and function with an intensity for 90 minutes or so. And so I think of the, the first stage as preparation. The second stage is what I call purposeful struggle. So it's a really intensely focused, skill-building kind of practice And then this third stage is release. It's stepping back. It's changing your physiology. It's letting your neurochemistry return to normal. It's recharging your body so that you can then go back into the the purposeful struggle. 
it's it's very similar to high intensity interval thinking. Okay. I'm sorry, it's high intensity. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I, I said it's very similar to high intensity interval training. I think of it training, as yeah. high intensity interval thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. And so the, well, in that case, the release for you was the hot tub and letting your body release and relax, right? Correct. And, you, and, and this is all part of this flow cycle. Is that correct? These phases? The five stages of flow. So you can't control getting into flow but you can control the precursors and the recovery to increase the likelihood you will get into flow. Right, right. because that's one of the biggest challenges I know I have as a small business owner is I've got all of these things pulling at my time, all of the fires of the day, the mm -hmm. things I have to respond to. And so how do I, and so I have identified as you were talking about a moment ago, that maybe mornings are more productive for me or evenings or whatever, and that's the only block of time I can set aside. So I, I don't have the flexibility of just whenever it hits me in the day, right? Mm -hmm. So what you're talking about is that there are things I can do to hopefully trigger me into that state of flow. Is that right? Correct. Correct. So there's a lot of life that you have to manage. and I. But if you can find a chunk of time that you save or carve off for potentially getting into flow, that's phenomenal. And you can optimize that by knowing what are okay. the environmental conditions you need, what are the psychological conditions, and then getting really clear in advance what is it that you want to tackle in that sec in that segment of time. Those are all th things yeah. you can do to increase that likelihood. You want another hack? Yes. So um, flow begets flow. The neurological patterns that get you into flow at work are very similar to the neurological patterns that get you into flow in running or in music and or in creating art work in the kitchen. So the more you can find avenues into flow in different aspects of your life, the more likely you'll get into flow. So flow begets flow. It's interesting when you talk about the music, I, I just realized that one of the things I'll do sometimes is I'll listen to music that is motivational and inspiring to me. And that I can see now how that's acting as a trigger to get me into flow. Mm -hmm. And it's mm -hmm. just one of those things. Now you talk about in the book and, and a lot of stuff that you've written about the measurable productivity that comes from this, from executives, from small business owners. I mean, it, it can be on the low end as much as 15 to 20% increase or more in productivity. Mm -hmm. And we just, uh, and you talk about this so much, I want you to speak to a little bit more about how it, the whole wired nature and as small business owners, everything that we have going on, all of the noise keeps us out of flow and if we're not careful, we never are in a state of flow. So McKinsey has actually done some of the best research on this. And they have found that if, if I can increase your time and flow by 15 to 20%, mm. it doubles your productivity. And if you're a small business owner, you know, if you were, had two of you, how amazing that would be. So that's really the promise of, of creating more flow in your life. And as you said, because we live in this always on, always connected, overwired world, there is so much stimulus that's coming over the transom. If you think about the increased volume of things we have access to, the variety of sources of information, the velocity with which it's coming to us, and the veracity of that information, it's draining our cognitive resources. And, and so in my first book, I really helped people think about how do they start to build fences, build filters, and really 
rethink how they focus to be set up for more success. As a small business owner, it is so vital to know what are the nice-to-haves versus what are the need-to-haves and to be able to separate the wheat from the chaff on those busy, busy time periods. Are you, like most small business owners, constantly facing the challenge of how to reach potential customers while still meeting your bottom line? When it comes to marketing, do you struggle with how to get started, where to focus your efforts, and how to manage a tight budget? You invest in marketing that you think will bring in returns, but it's not always easy to tell if your investment is making a real difference in your sales. Small Business Marketing on a Budget, a program developed by Melissa Forziat, was created for people like you and me. She develops great marketing solutions for small business owners at an affordable price. And she has a special offer for the How of Business podcast listeners. You get a free download of her informative ebook, Small Business Marketing on a Budget, which will teach you 10 creative marketing methods you can use today to get new customers and make more sales without spending all of your hard-earned money. As an added bonus, you receive a 25% discount on her popular Marketing Outreach Guide. It helps you make perfect sales pitches easily and includes initial marketing correspondence and follow-up templates for new leads, old customers, and everything in between. To get your free Small Business Marketing on a Budget ebook and your bonus discount for the Marketing Outreach Guide, visit the show notes page for this episode or search for Melissa at thehowofbusiness.com. So give me a, a couple more tips on those filters and fences. In other words, how do I become more unwired in those periods of times that I need it so that I can be in flow? Give me a, a bit more examples. You know, we're all challenged with all of the obvious things, my email, my phone, on and on and on. How, how do you do it and how do you advise your clients that they disconnect for those periods of time? So one of the simplest and most powerful simple, it's not even a tool, it's just a hack, is to have a piece of white paper next to you. I'm sitting with you right now and I have a piece of paper. And When ideas pop in of things I need to do or things I need to follow up on, I literally write it down so that I can come back and be focused with you. So your brain will popcorn different stimulus. If you capture that, you increase your ability to be focused because you're able to come back to the here and now. And I'll build that out a little bit more if you think of your brain as a stage, there's only so much room on that stage. If you have too many actors or actresses on that stage, it gets distracted and no one can move and no one can do anything. So we want to build fences, people that we never want to let on the stage. And then we want to build the right filters so that the right people come on that stage at the right time, prepared to share their lines at the right time. So An example of a filter is you want to be able to remember that you need milk when you're at the grocery store, not when you're starting to do a keynote presentation. So I, I have in both books, I build out a lot of tactical strategies to help people build that muscle, getting clear what are the fences that they want to put in place? How do they weed a lot of the things in their life so that they have space to seed things that they do want in their life? And especially for people who are starting new businesses, 
this is such a vital, vital, vital thing, whether it's friends or responsibilities or community and, and so forth. Yeah, and so what I'm hearing a lot is is that discipline and, and systems that we have to implement to, to be able to control these exterior uh, inputs that are fighting for our time. When, when, so yeah, can, go ahead. Cool. So let me just add to that. So your brain has a finite capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can only process so much information. Um, the, the, I'll give you an example. Um, research on willpower. If you use willpower to resist chocolate sitting on your desk all day at the office, by the time you get home, you will have used up a lot of that willpower. So you might not have the willpower to go to the gym, or you might not have willpower to resist the Ben and Jerry's in your freezer. Versus if you were to just move that chocolate off your desk and take it out, you preserve that willpower. The same is true with your your focus and your energy. So creating the right environment is really, really vital. And the right environment for you is totally different than the right environment for me, which is part of the the challenge of really rethinking how we work in this wired world. Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. But talking about the right environment for you, let's say as an example, when you go into flow, are you turning your cell phone on, emails off? Are those obvious things that we need to practice when we either set aside some time that hopefully we go into flow or when it happens? Tell me a little bit more about that. Sure. So for me, email is not that big of a distraction. For some people, it is. Um, So I encourage people to put a double step if email is a real distraction. Close your inbox and then turn off your Wi-Fi because then you have two reminder points. Like you can click on your email somewhat unconsciously, but if you similarly, it's one thing to turn your phone on vibrate. It's another thing to put it on airplane mode. So that creates a barrier to to entry. I would also really encourage people to think about the precursors that lead up to a really productive day. On the days that are most important to me in terms of delivering, I will often contract with my husband to go to yoga or to get out for a run. I, five days out of seven, will throw my kids into the stroller and take them for a run with me as a way of getting into flow before I even try to get into flow in my workday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yep, 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 absolutely. So this all, of, of course, a lot of this is about productivity and increasing our productivity. What are some other behaviors, actions, mindsets? I know you, you talk some about that in the book that you've observed that leads to us being more productive in our lives and then in our business, of course. Oh, those are such good questions. I am a a passionate fan of both Angela Duckworth's work on grit and Carol Dweck's work on a growth mindset. Both are about um, a tenacity and a stick-to-itness and a willingness to learn from each example. I would encourage anyone who's considering starting a business to really assess whether they have a growth mindset. That is such a vital part of adapting and responding. Grit and growth mindset are two of the things we look for in our investments Mm. when we think of coachable individuals. I would also say, especially for people who are starting off, I would say, look at your, your network. One of the things I speak a lot of in my book are the my first book are the six F's. And we talked about fences and filters and focus fuel. So what you're putting in your body and how you're energizing your body, but also friends are so vital. 
you want to make sure you have a network of can-do people, people Mm. who are possibilities and who are willing to ask you difficult questions, cheer you along. So you don't want yes people, but you want people who are going to believe that it's worth dreaming. And I'll I'll, I'll share that when I first started my business in 2003, I officially launched in 2004, I was really struck. Some people were my biggest cheerleaders because they thought if I can do this, if Camille starts a business, I'll be able to start a business. And similarly, there are people who are like, it's never going to work. And they were scared that I was going to start my business and it was going to mean that they had no excuse not to follow their own dreams. So peer group really matters, especially as you're starting off. Yeah, that that last point resonates so much with me because I, I've come to understand that others, we to your point about understanding who are our peers and are they holding us back, mostly subconsciously. I, I don't think our friends purposely want us to fail, but to your point, it validates when we do why they don't take the, the risk or the leap to go do something, right? Um, so all of that is what you define as, as a, having that growth mindset. I want to make sure I understand what you mean by a growth mindset. I think I do, but is that part of what you're talking about when you say a growth mindset? So a growth mindset is really how you process and how you experience the world. People with a growth mindset see obstacles as, as simply obstacles rather than walls that are unmovable. The people with fixed mindsets, when they get feedback, they take it personally They think their capacity to learn is fixed, that they can't grow and build new capacity. Uh, Growth mindsets are really about seeking out feedback, gathering input so that you can grow and learn, seeing obstacles as temporary setbacks, seeing feedback as an opportunity to improve. And anyone who's interested can go to my website, aimleadership.com backslash mindset, and there will be a, a... hidden link to a summary that really lays out the difference here. And Carol Dweck's D-W-E-C-K's work is phenomenal on this. Hmm. Interesting. Great. Great. Thanks for clarifying that. Okay. So we're all, and you talk about this a lot in the books as well, this desire that we have to, to seek more control over our lives and our time and yet, uh, what I observe again and again, including myself, is then we become business owners in part to seek that freedom of time and of control. And yet we end up looking back saying, oh my gosh, I'm spending more time than I ever have. This business is consuming me more than my job ever did. And I'm sure you see that a lot with your clients. So I'm wondering what, what thoughts you have there and, and is the whole creating more flow, that's part of helping me get out of that cycle of I'm as busy now as I ever was in a corporate job. You understand what I'm asking about? Yeah. How we, we fall into this trap. And in part, it's because we think we have to do it all. And so that'll lead to what I want to talk about next about empowering employees. But how how can, what have you done to help clients in this approach with flow in particular so that I become more productive and therefore I'm not spending 24-7 on my business? So... My experience is, first of all, there's a lot of work that is part of being in a business. The mindset of you chose this, this is really what you're excited to do, is helpful generally. I think too often when we get stressed, we don't spend the needed time to think about the outcomes. We have a long list of to-dos. So I often, I have a five-step process that helps people create more time. 
And this is at aimleadership.com backslash time. And it's a five-step process to help them think about everything in your brain, write it all down. So the first step is collate. The second step is eliminate. You got to cross off things that are not going to move the dial for people that that really matter for the business. The third state is stage is to automate. What are the things that you can build once, use many times, so that the flywheel increases? And then only after you've done those three steps, gotten clear on the outcome, eliminated things that aren't going to move the dial, automated processes that you can build once, use many, do you actually get to the place of delegating? If you're practicing this habit effectively, you will first feel a sense of control over your life. You'll have a sense, wow, I might have a lot to do, but at least I have line of sight to everything that I need to do. Second, you'll start to build awareness about what are the patterns. Is it an annual pattern? Is it a monthly pattern? What are the things that you really need to learn how to automate perhaps even better because you're not able to get on the front edge of them? And and all of those things are, are part of optimizing our time. I, my personal experience, and I, I see this whether it's in a software startup or a star architect in, um, you know, a stellar architect is that if they spend a little bit more time in the preparation phase, getting clear on the outcome, they can start to think about how do they get that outcome faster, easier, quicker, more effectively. So that preparation really is a stitch in time saves nine. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's great takeaways there. Especially that last point is such a huge one. We tend to come at it as a firefighter mentality, let's just mm-hmm. dive into our day or our week. SWAT team. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> let's go attack. But what you're talking about is so beneficial in all aspects of life. If we'll take a moment and plan and lay out our week and prioritize, we become so much more effective. Um, yeah. So then you also touched on the, the kind of the last major point I want to chat about here, which is how do we empower our staff, our employees, our peers in a group to also find more flow? So as a small business owner, I, I've, I've got a group of people that I'm working with or that are working for me. How do I begin to get better at helping those people find more flow? That's a great question. I candidly think there has never been a better time to start businesses because as a small business owner, you have the internet at your hands and we are moving into a gig economy. And so you can find fractionalized talent who can help you with any part of your problem in your business. So if you spend time in the preparation phase and you do it diligently, you can bring in top talent to help you. Mm -hmm. And I'll give you an example. I have a um, social media team in LA, someone helping with our book launch in San Diego. My CFO is a fractional CFO and also my best friend in Park City. I have an editor in New York. I have an admin in in Savannah, Georgia. I, I got a PR person in Nashville. So I've got this amazing, talented team. Oh, and my phenomenal slide guy in Arizona. Phenomenal team that is all just artists in their own right at what they do. And they are able to plug in and do great work in their sweet spot because of the gig economy. If I'm, again, preparing and giving them clear outcomes, I can also give them latitude to adapt and respond and come up with their own creative response. And it's a phenomenal synergy that is both clearing headaches off of my plate, right? 
but also giving great work to people who are really excited about it in a in a fairly economical way. So, such a, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I just I just think it's such a unique and beautiful time to be a small business owner. For people who have full time employees, what I would consistently go back to is how do you engage them to be their best? How do you give them clear outcomes so that they then feel autonomy and responsibility? and some ability to adapt and respond based on what their wisdom is. And, you know, in my book, I talk a lot about how do you build that infrastructure to help people be successful mm-hmm. as you pass things off. Yeah, huge, huge takeaways here. And you had touched on it earlier that I have to build, I use the term systems, so that you have those repeatable processes in place that then allow you to delegate and also you talk about empowering the your people so that they can move into these states of flow more often and then i think it's a great way to look at that freelance economy that you're in in essence if it if when it works well which is a lot of the times you're leveraging people's flow state or the product of their flow state um and that's that's what really makes this so much more powerful, right? Besides all of the other flexibility of having a virtual team instead of a uh, physical team when it's possible. So mm-hmm. all of those are great takeaways. Let me ask you this. Do you think that the stuff that we produce when we're in flow, that work that we do then, is, is it fair to say that that maybe that's a lot of all that we should be doing? In other words, is that often a good signal as to what I should delegate, the, the stuff that I don't generate in flow is probably stuff that someone else can do and they probably can do it better because they can do it in their flow. Am I asking yeah. that clearly enough? Yeah, so I, I, I think I would add to your question to say, when you're in flow, you're challenged, but you're inspired, it feels great. And so if one of the things I do in my coaching of, of business owners is help them figure out what is it that they uniquely they need to be doing versus what are the things that they can let off of their plate. Mm-hmm. And one of the challenges, especially for early stage companies, is finding that dance between outsourcing and bootstrapping. Yeah. And it's, it's such a tension point. But if you track what you love doing and where you feel flow – and if you can redesign your life so you're spending more time there, that's a massive victory in my yeah. my my book. Exactly. Thank you. And that's what I was trying to ask because if you if you continue to work towards you focus on those things that you do well and that and that you produced in flow, then then that's that's where you need to keep focusing. Likely, that's what's moving the business forward. That's what's moving the needle, as you had said, and that's what I need to keep doing more of as a business mm-hmm. owner, right? Um, Absolutely. But understandably, like you just pointed out, you know, we, we got to get to that point. And certainly when we're starting out and we're bootstrapping, we have to do it all. So it's it's a big challenge. Hence why the the techniques and the tools of disconnecting, especially from our wired connections, is so critical. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And the conversations with your members of your home team and your work team to, to help you really think about what is it that you need to be positioned to be your best here and now. Great point. Great point. All right. The book again is is called create more flow, igniting peak performance in an overwired world. I think I know why you wrote it, but tell us, uh, let me ask you the question. Why did you write it? And, and who is it for? It's funny. So I remember a pharmaceutical executive sent me an email and it was, 
probably eight months before I even started writing it. He said, I love talking with you, Camille. I'd like to buy 200 copies of your book. And I, I thought, dude, I am not writing another book. <laughs> My first book was kind of like, was worse than birthing a child. <laughs> I sat with it and I really, I really felt like it was what the world needs. And it's a way to touch more people than just a, a single coaching practice. And so it's written for anyone who wants to spend more time feeling and performing at your best. My mother and her her 87-year-old new boyfriend read it over the weekend and were loving it. So I think it goes across generations. I think it is especially important for people who have a passion that they want to bring to life, whether it's spending more time with your kids or spending more time in your fitness or launching a business. It's really designed to figure out how do you jump into that sweet spot more often. Yeah, I love it. All right. Uh, what do you love most about what you do today? I love the ability to spend time with people who have a dream and be a part of the team that's helping them figure out how to bring it to action. So that's my sweet spot, whether it's in an organization or with an individual or with in the venture capital work that I do. Um, it's really turning ideas into action and igniting the people to be their best to make that happen as quickly as possible. Yeah, that's fantastic. All right, we've touched on uh, AIM leadership, but if you could give us just a brief elevator pitch on the services that you, services and products that you offer your clients. Sure, we do coaching, training, um, a keynote speaking. We have a wealth of books. And coming soon, we will have an online training program about Create More Flow. And we, we work with clients around the globe, so we would be very curious to see if there's a way that we could collaborate with you. There's more information at aimleadership.com, and I always welcome feedback from the podcast or questions of things that we haven't hit, things you would like additional ideas on. So please send your questions to us at aimleadership.com or at Camille, Press, uh, Camille P. on Twitter. Perfect. Wonderful. Very well. Uh, books. Uh, we chatted earlier before we started recording. I'm passionate about books. You've got two great ones. Is there another one besides your two that you would recommend to our listeners? Sure. Especially for people starting business, I would highly recommend Do You Talk Funny? It's written by a dear friend, David Nihil, uh, who is a absolutely hilarious stand-up comedian who hates to do public speaking. So it's all about how do you become a better, more engaging speaker. And it's, I'm, I'm about two thirds of the way through it and loving it. Interesting. Do you talk funny? So is, is the premise that that's what he used to get over his, uh, not fear or maybe reservation of speaking to people or. Yeah, he was absolutely terrified. So he spent a year calling himself Irish Dave, this world renowned Irish Dave, <laughs> stand up comedian from Ireland. And, um, literally taught himself how to own the stage and how to engage folks to, to really make sure your, your message resonates. And just, it's a fun book and also a meaty book. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Great. Great recommendation. We'll have a link to that book as well as to your books uh, on the show notes page for this episode at the how so we'll start to wrap it up here. Last parting thought, piece of advice, something I didn't ask you about, especially as it relates to what we've been talking about of creating more flow from a small business owner's perspective. I'm, I'm toggling between do it to start that business. It's such a joy 
to, to be doing the work that you love. One of my mantras is do what you love from places you love with people you enjoy. Mm. So I hope people find inspiration in our conversation to both create more flow in their lives, but also to create a life that they are really inspired by. And it sounds like you have a wonderful bevy of resources, Henry, for people to turn to as they embark on that next chapter. Agreed, agreed. And when it comes to getting more into that flow, finding it, is there anything else we didn't talk about, another quick hack that you think would help mm. us, especially especially for those of us who maybe are not very good at finding those states of flow? Yeah, I, I, I mean, you're asking a closet nerd what is her favorite <laughs> nerd notion, and the book is laden with them. Um, I would say the one thing that has, the two things that have transformed people, one, doing that five-step collate, eliminate, mm. automate, delegate, create, amplify, etc. That's one. And then the second one is just start to notice when you're in, in struggle. By naming being in struggle, sometimes it helps you kind of pull yourself up by your bootstraps and dig in a little deeper. Give yourself a 90-minute sprint and then see what you can create. Yeah, yeah love that. All right, we've uh, you've given us a lot of different sites to go to, and we'll have links to all of those in the show notes page. Is there one place you'd like everybody to go, though, to find out more about you? Um, aimleadership.com is the best place to go, and following us on Camille P. at, at Twitter. Perfect. C-A-M-I-L-L-E-P at Twitter. Right. We'll have links to all of those uh, on the show notes page as well, in case you didn't get a chance to write it down. Camille, this has been a fantastic conversation. I've learned a lot. Thanks so much for taking the time and for sharing your knowledge with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to hear what becomes for your listeners. Yes, absolutely. They'll get a lot out of this episode, I assure you, as, as I have. Fantastic. Thank you. Folks, this is Henry Lopez, and my guest again was Dr. Camille Preston. Thanks for listening to this episode of The How of Business. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find our show on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.